Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, happy fall sports day, week, month, time. This is uh, Matt Marinas from White and Blue Review, sitting with my buddy Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. Um, one more pod. We did another pod, so here we are back on the Blue Jay beat. We're going to do a fall sports edition of it. Um, I know this usually come post-game men's basketball, but uh, there's a lot to dissect, a lot of things happening on Creighton's campus right now with um, you know, three teams in action in the regular season, and then men's and women's basketball uh, back on campus, and probably certain workouts here. I think men's basketball starts their workouts this week, and uh, women's basketball probably the same deal. Um, so, first of all, welcome back, John. Good to see you. I know we see Thank each other all the time. But yeah, we do. <laughs> um, but I'm glad to be back. It's it, you know, start of the school year is always exciting. A lot of people, a lot of action on campus, and a lot of optimism for. A lot of Creighton teams. So. Par- parking's harder these days. Parking the, is harder. They're building a new facility, new practice facility. Mm-hmm. Parking is a little bit harder. Um, I'm taking the bus more. Are you? So that's a change. You, you're living in Ralston now, so like. Yeah, it's it's a. You're not as close as. I used to be able to just walk. Right. Um, and I started driving, and I don't like I don't know. The, the interstate drive in is just story of my life. It's not. Yeah, you make that drive. Because I'm in La, I'm in La Vista, so right. you're like in between Creighton and me now, so right. like you know so, what I have to go through every day. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. a fan. 72nd Street is probably my least favorite street. Yeah. In, 80, have you had tried 84th yet? 84th is the worst in the history of roads. <laughs> I, I have not, so... Um, go, go on that one tomorrow and just see for yourself. Yeah, we we should do a, a ranking of roads the in Omaha. Track two. I'm telling you right now, power rankings of hate. For me, number yeah. one is seventy second. So I think Dodge would probably get a lot of votes because you just can't, you know, there's only, you're you're limited. But I mean, in yeah. terms of like construction and like upkeep and things like that, eighty fourth to me is the worst. And because in the wintertime, the potholes are just insanely. Well, like, they will drop your car into one of those potholes. I, I saw so they bad. they snuck up a sign. Now I don't know if it was there or not. I, I I'm on it every now and then, but mm-hmm. they snuck up a sign and said that little stretch of road they're doing construction on between Harrison and Q. That won't be done for a year. Right. Surprise, by the way. Like, just, a year? Yeah. How long? What? The detours, no. the detours are under construction. The actual roads are under construction. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, there's, it's very hard to get where you're going once you have to use the interstate. So, so. no, I'm a, I've, been, I've been kind of dabbling in, in the Omaha bus system. And it's not great, but gets me where I need to go. Get some work done on, on the way. Catch up on my podcast like this uh, one. Maybe I can listen to how some you of your podcasts. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a good take by me. I should try that again. <laughs> yeah. Um... Well, let's just jump into it because we got a lot to tackle today. Um, we'll get to your questions uh, towards the end of the towards the end of the recording here, but um, I think we'll get things started off with uh, we'll be gentlemen and let the ladies go first. Obviously, women's soccer um, is always first. They got underway this weekend um, in Iowa City with a two nothing loss to the Hawkeyes. Um, you know that this is an interesting year for I think Ross Pauley and his program, um, just knowing how competitive he is as a player and just you know you saw that kind of fire in his eye when you talked to him just about building this whole thing up you know um I don't think he I think being as patient as he's been throughout this process has probably been the difficult part for him because he kind of wanted to win you know within a couple years and it hasn't gone that way um and certainly last year was a big time struggle they I mean scoring was almost non-existent you know when you can't score any goals it's hard to win matches let alone in the Big East, just stay competitive and the so. inability to be creative enough offensively to pose a threat. Yeah, played into the fact that they were um, very vulnerable defensively. Yeah, I mean, gave up a lot of under shots. an unreal amount yeah. of pressure for ninety minutes. That's like hard to sustain. Um, 
But I think there's some interesting pieces on the team this year in terms of attacking. I don't think they'll be um, – I don't think they'll have a, as hard time finding chances as they did last year. Um, it's all about if they can find the right finishers or not. Uh, but in Iowa, it was kind of like it, it. the result was more of the same story. You know, they played well defensively for most of the match but conceded two goals and really didn't have – a whole ton of dangerous chances outside of a couple in the first half, and then after they were down two nothing, they had a little bit more urgency, um, you know, trying to chase two goals. But uh, I still think there are pieces there. You know, if I evaluate that whole match, um, I did watch it on BTN Plus. Uh, you know, the backline was really good. Jalen Bosak, I think, is just a just a stalwart at this point. She kind of uh, she's got all the caliber talent in terms of how she can affect things defensively. I liked what I saw out of Katie Sullivan, um, you know, true redshirt freshman goalkeeper who's kind of been thrust into replacing Mackenzie Miola. Um, she was pretty good. I mean, she made some nice saves. Like, you know, the first goal she gave up was a PK um, from Iowa's Natalie Winters, who was on the U19 and U20 U.S. national team. Um, so she's really talented. It's not easy to stop a PK from that. So she had nothing to do with the PK itself. Uh, or giving it up, so that's a tough situation for her to be in. Um, so you don't fault her for giving up that goal, and I don't think Ross Pauly did either. And then the second one was a deflection off a defender that Sullivan had tracked. So she would have, I think, she would have made the save because you know she was ready for it. She wasn't out of position or anything. It just deflected off one of her defenders on the, you know, in the air, and she couldn't recover. Um, so she was good. The thing that you know was probably more of the same was that. Taryn Jacobowski and Duel Love, who had really good preseasons um, in the attacking side of the field, uh, kind of were shut down. So, mm. you know, you wonder. Well, that's kind of what happened last year. You couldn't get to the, you couldn't get it to your players that you knew um, are talented one v one players to make something happen. And then against Iowa, it was more of the same story. Um, one of the so you wonder, but Iowa's a good side. So like you, you know, there's it's not it's not bad to take a two nothing loss to Iowa, but it's just like the kind of the way it happened seemed like more of the same from last year. So going forward, that's still something they need to address. You've seen these guys play a little bit, and you're you're, you're more familiar with the program than I. But talking to Ross Pauly before the season, it seemed like he was more encouraged about this team's ability to kind of possess the ball, um, maybe more creatively maneuver down the field, uh, sort of build up. More, more build-up plays, open-play goals, just like um, setting each other up, making runs, just um, a, a, a uh, maybe maybe reacting to the defense a little bit better, just more sort of team-oriented plays mm-hmm. instead of relying on maybe well, because one a lot of their goals two. were on set pieces or right. things like that last year. So, so he was encouraged by that yeah. going into the season, and obviously maybe it didn't transpire the way they wanted to on Sunday, but it's you know it's one match, so we'll see. If um, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I think that's probably what I'm curious about. I mean, it's it is year four, and, and like you said, you want to, you know, that you're under what you're undertaking is not something that you can just snap your fingers and say, okay, now we've fixed all of our our issues and we've installed a, a new style of play. Um, but you also want to see some results too. Mm-hmm. So um, last year, obviously, the way that the season unfolded isn't what they want. They lost a lot of matches late, and. Uh, Perhaps had they uh, performed a little bit better in the final 10 to 15 minutes of matches, the, the record wouldn't have looked as, as poor as it did. Um, but 
so you, I guess what you want to see is, is some progress, yeah. and maybe there was some, there were some underlying signs of progress last year that were sort of overshadowed by the four and eleven and three record. But uh, you know, I feel like this year you. I mean, if I'm Coach Pauly, if I'm the players in the field, like I, we, I think the expectation is that we're going to get more wins out of out of what they, what they have here. So I think the tough the tougher part too when we're talking about women's sports is. You you'd think I guess year four in if you were covering a football team or covering a basketball team, um, maybe even you know baseball to ex- to some extent, and I think even soccer has quick fixability, you know, uh, in terms of recruiting. That year four probably isn't a year where it's time to start seeing results. Year four probably is a year where you're like, we kind of have expectations, you know what I mean? With with the program Ross Pauly's building, year four for him is. Not to make excuses, but, like, year four for him is kind of year one because these are all his recruits now. So, like, this is all of his time put in, you know, scouting and recruiting players versus trying to find quick fixes and patch up holes that he doesn't necessarily think um, are conducive for his style of play. So I think that's what makes this year really interesting is because this is kind of year one for his implementation. You know what I mean? So you want – yeah, you want to see, I think – making the Big East tournament bare minimum where that's been kind of like the goal to strive for every year now it's kind of like you probably I mean it's a 16 tournament you probably and you, the facilities you have at your disposal um, you probably should be making that thing on an annual basis Yeah, and I kind of think that's where he's at now um, with the people he's brought in with the talent he's brought in if he, if he is building this thing into what in, in his vision and it's the right vision and he's doing the right things to build this program up, and that he is the guy going forward. Um, making the Big East tournament becomes the bare minimum goal, and I think that's something they should try to achieve. Like cross that one off this year, and then, you know, just break through the rest of the barriers going forward after that. So that's why this year I think is interesting for for his program, for for his tenure, and all those things because you see the players that he's brought in; they clearly are talented. Um, but can he mesh it all together in his vision and, and get it all working together? Because the Big East isn't – it's not an easy conference in women's soccer um, by any means, but it's also not like, you know, trying to build a program from the, from scratch in the SEC and on the coast or, you know, in the Pac-12 where it just seems like women's soccer's dynamic is kind of on those coastal lines. Like there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of resources, a lot of teams have put in – or a lot of schools have put in, you know – money to invest in those programs and try to make them elite um in the midwest it's kind of a free-for-all really and uh you know i talked to him about that a little bit um for fall sports media day and just you know the difficulties of building up a program in the midwest you know because not only is recruiting difficult um despite your resources but you know scheduling teams like you know you're not bringing as you see stalwarts in here and you're not going to them unless you just that's really the only way you can play them is to go to them kind of thing so there are challenges um but i don't think he i don't think he thinks they're impossible hurdles to clear you know what i mean so um and nebraska is a good example uh that you know they've had an NCAA tournament caliber program year in year out and um iowa seems to have one so like you know there are ways to make it happen you know in the middle of the country in terms of finding talent, developing it, and growing a program to be a perennial NCAA contender, I guess. So um, he sees that, and, you know, I think he still has the same vision that he had when he first got here 
which I find interesting because he had such high goals when he first got here that you wonder if four years have kind of beaten that out of him a little bit, but no, he's still the same. He's still saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, he's still saying the same thing. He's still as competitive as ever. You can still see that fire in his eyes when he when he addresses that. Um, so it'll be interesting. And in terms of the schedule, I don't. I know they're starting on a lot of road matches, but you know, Air Force isn't isn't a tough isn't like a it'll be a tough challenge because on the road but I don't think it's a team they can't beat you know same with UNO who they've always beaten Eastern Michigan South Dakota State South Dakota UMKC like you know the toughest team on the schedule is Oklahoma State and they'll have that at Morrison Stadium so right but Oklahoma you know, State's pretty good they are pretty good but I mean if you got that at home you feel like that's that's a place you can at least get a, some kind of result out of or at least play for a draw type of deal um at worst so they drew Georgetown last year on the road so I mean it's not something they can't say they've never done before um so I think that's something. The schedule is, I guess I could say it's it's they're able, they will they have the ability to navigate through it. Mm. Although it's a really tough challenge to play as many road matches as they are. So, um, yeah, I just think you know this will be an interesting year to evaluate because there's a lot going on that he's put in time and invested in um, in his vision. So if it is the right if it is the right one. We kind of will find out, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Who do you like so far when you see this team? Um, obviously, Taryn Jacobowski stands out. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, really good. a great 1v1 player. Yeah, I, I like her. Yeah, definitely 1v1, but her work ethic, mm-hmm. I think she's all over the place when you watch this team play. So um, um, I, I enjoy watching her just sort of try to make an impact. Um, I like a lot of their newcomers. I mean, you know them better than me. Right. But I think just sort of Joel jump. Love is one that I think stands out too. They just as, sort of jump out. Yeah. Uh, or jump, both jump of out them on the you. wings, like that's pretty yeah. dangerous to have two opposing pieces on opposite sides of the field with the, that are like similar in terms of how they can create havoc. Right. Um, I think having attacking pieces like that, where you can kind of just pick one and and let them create something. If you can get, the, if you can find them, they didn't find them against Iowa, so that was the challenge. And I think Ansley Atkinson is a, is, a, is a player that I think stood out to me in the preseason. Um, she's in Darby Huguenin's role, who graduated last year. Um, you know, kind of that 10 position uh, in terms of connecting the defense to the offense and getting things moving. So she's a freshman, though. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really big challenge to be able to do that at the D1 level. So, you know, just to transition that quickly. So there's a lot on her plate. But I think she has ability to do it. And, you know, if she can, you know, settle in here and um, settle into a pretty good groove, her finding Love and Jacobowski, like, you know, that's almost easy work. Once you can find them, they can do a lot with the ball. Right. So that'll be the challenge. That was the challenge against Iowa. They weren't able to find those two players, and there really wasn't much of an attack. You know, Iowa, I think early on it was like back and forth, and then Iowa kind of took over towards late in the first half, and early in the second they obviously found the back of the net. Um, and after that, they kind of backed off and defend the, you know, defend the lead as you do in soccer. So it was, it was, it was like four different matches to evaluate there. Um, but Creighton struggled to find their playmakers, and you know they've got to address that going forward. So because those two are dangerous, they proved it. Um, so their next up is Air Force, like I said on Friday, um, out in Colorado Springs. And Air Force, I think, you know, was like. I think they had 11 losses last year. I'm not sure what they brought back. I think they were playing Colorado and Northern Colorado out this weekend. I don't know what they did. Um, but I think that's the team Creighton can beat. And then UNO is a team that Creighton has had a lot of success against in the past. So 
they have a chance this weekend to, or I guess you and I was on Monday out at Coniglia, but they have a chance this weekend to get two wins and, you know, be above 500 going to Eastern Michigan and South Dakota State trip the following weekend, so. I think that's one of the things, you know, what did they start with, four or five on the road? Yeah, five straight. And obviously you mentioned they are some matches that they can compete in and you would think be able to get some results if they perform to their potential. And I think it's important for this team to get some early momentum. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're just drawing. I mean, last year it was they had nothing to mm-hmm. start the season. Right. And that's obviously a blow. And then, then you all of a sudden now you're in conference play and you don't have a lot of, um, uh, you know, just examples to relay back on or, or draw back on and, uh, and use to build your confidence. So I think they... I think it's important for this team to perform well early, um, especially when you're talking about new pieces and kind of settling into a different style of attack and, and trying to be more connected as a unit. Mm-hmm. Like they need to perform well early. So yeah, I agree. Men's soccer um, coming off a disappointing season themselves, I guess by their standards, it's a different type of disappointment when we talk about what they um, did last year. At the, you know. I think the second NCAA tournament they missed in 26 years. So when you talk about that's only happened twice, it stands out the two times, right? More than the 24? Yes. Yeah, so um, that's kind of what they're dealt with uh, combating this year. And I feel like – I don't feel like talent-wise they are, they are as good as last year. But, but I think they're better positioned to have more success because I just think there's more – First of all, there's more depth on this group. Um, and there's just more, like, cohesion. I mean, they just feel like they they get along better, they trust each other more. I think that's a big deal in soccer because when you've got a situation, when you're dealing with some adversity in a match, which happens, like, you know, a team gets a lucky goal or something like that, that happens all the time. Um, and when you feel like you deserve better, like, that's there's a moment of adversity where you kind of have to, you know, dig deeper kind of deal with a gut punch and um, we've seen examples of it so far in the preseason against both against UNO to an extent I mean they kind of put their second unit in to deal with that but their first unit which became which was their second didn't unit. have their a problem starters, did, yeah. well, wasn't going to deal with that situation yeah um, but, the, but, but against Northern Illinois they had to deal with it late and they recovered very quickly um, so I think it's just one of those things where this team has more belief in what they're trying to do and there's more confidence in the group as a whole like the sum of the parts if you will well they kind of have to right because they don't really have headliners this year right so i think that's just a, it it is a natural byproduct now obviously the players have to buy into that because you know the guys who are stepping in the shoes of a ricky or uh noah you know like shirt sure, like maybe they feel empowered and and confident mm-hmm. and Maybe they feel like they have to burden a heavier load. But I feel like just generally, um, when you have a group, and especially this group that is full of a lot of newcomers, and I think the coaching staff set sort of that, um, they sort of like, I, I, I don't know, set the scene is, is kind of what I'm looking for in the spring. Early. Where, where, yeah, it, maybe it was, it felt like everyone knew going into this year, like what, was expected of this group like like mm-hmm. it is team oriented ball like we have that that has to be the number one priority and I feel like that was communicated pretty clearly by the coaching staff and the players bought into it too and they've sort of um, expressed that and, and you're 
I mean, my thought was like, well, why wouldn't it be? But in soccer, sometimes, you know, um, you know, you want to feed some of your top tier guys. Like Ricky was a really good goal scorer. So mm-hmm. you, the offense had to sort of be tailored around his skill set. And I feel like with this group, um, it's just a different mentality because you don't have that headliner mm-hmm. or, or headliners because they're, I mean, they're, what there's like three or four guys. I mean, even Lucas last year was was a really good player who right. um, could put the ball back in the put the ball in the back of the net or create opportunities for others. So um, put some pressure on def- on the defense. So yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think that there's uh, it, it seems to be a little bit more um, cohesive and and the chemistry seems to be a little bit better, which I think was a natural byproduct of. Um, you know, a team that comes in with with some question marks and. Mm-hmm. Um, some roles that are open. I think the other encouraging thing about what they're doing is they're not results, disregard results, I guess, on the field in, in terms of their matches, but like they're, they're kind of walking the walk here, you know what I mean? They're, they're, or walking the talk, I guess I should say, but um, they came in early, like two weeks before they were actually supposed to report normally, had a bunch of captain's practices, um, you know, with Joel Rise training and Mitch LeGrow. Uh, kind of leading the way away from the coaches, which, you know, their they're extension. So then you have players that are extension of the coaches on the field leading a group that has bought into that attitude so far. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now what happens when the things start rolling, going downhill that's again? Because that's what happened yeah. last year. Things got, you know, when things went bad, they got worse. They didn't get better. You know what I mean? So that's the question that they'll have to answer is how do they respond to the adversity they'll, you know, most sure, assuredly face. Um, and I think the one glimpse where we saw it, like again, the UNO match was different. They went down one nothing early, but they had their second unit in the first forty five, and the, when they put the starters in the second forty five, they dominated the match. So I mean, yeah. that's different in terms of how you evaluate the the adversity they faced. But I guess Northern Illinois, the starters started, dominated the match. I mean, Northern Illinois had maybe one chance with the ball in their side of the field, the first forty five minutes. Um, you can say Creighton should have been up more than one nothing, and I would agree, but uh, you know that's just soccer. So you're up one nothing, and then late you have your second unit, and they give up a goal. Okay, now that's usually gut punch time because you give it up in the 88th minute, you, and you're not playing overtime because the teams had decided before that they weren't going to play overtime. So are you just are you just fine with a the draw there because okay they got a late goal? What are we going to do about it? And they responded immediately. Like the their urgency was like kicked up a notch like you don't expect that out of a team that just got a gut punch laid it to them um, but they did respond and you know had a couple had a newcomer set up a you know a reserve veteran and like you know for the game tying goal or game winning goal and it's like that's the stuff you expect to see out of a team that actually believes in what they're doing and so they kind of showed you right there that they do right so I think that's a that's a, at least an example on the field that the stuff they're doing away from the spotlight and away from the fans and you know, all the early work they put in isn't just lip service. They don't really just, they're not trying to re, they're not saying they want to reset their culture. They actually are resetting the culture. And, it, you know, it paid off in that moment right there. And um, so you'll get to find out now how, what the ceiling is because they face a Clemson team right off the bat that I think is ranked 11th in the country. Obviously, some of that is, or most of that is based off of last year's results. Um, but still, it's an ACC team coming in here that has historically been good. Um, you know, I think beat Creighton one nothing a couple of years ago when they were ranked number two in the country. Uh, so yeah, it's a team that I think it'll be a good test to find out 
you know, a good barometer of where what this team is capable of um, in terms of what they can accomplish. Yeah. I felt like you obviously don't want last year to happen. You don't want to miss the NCAA tournament. But I think that that was um, – I felt like going into last season, the players had this – this is just sort of my theory, so I haven't run this by the players mm-hmm. to talk to them about how – if I'm accurate. But my thought is is that they entered last season with the assumption that they would sort of reset back on course. Like, they, you know, the 2016 season perhaps didn't end the way they wanted it to. Did they make a late run in that uh, – to to with the, that group yeah. to get to the, the Sweet 16, maybe? Or, yeah. Is that right? Well, they almost missed the Big East Tournament. They almost tournament. missed the Big East Tournament, yeah. and then they made a run in the NCAA Tournament. Right. But, you know, they came away from that season saying, like, you know, that wasn't up to our standards, that wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there was kind of more, it was more of an assumption that they would find their way back on track. Whereas this year, because they endured such a gut punch of not making the NCAA Tournament, I think there's more of a concerted effort to, there's no... There's no assumption anymore that I think that they, they just they, they know that they have to work to get back there. Mm-hmm. Like there's no guarantee that they, that just because they, are putting Creighton jersey on and they're stepping out in the field, like they're gonna find themselves in the position they want to be. Um, so, I think there's just more of a concerted effort from everyone, a part of this program to, um, to, you know whether it's 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 not necessarily even like working a little, working harder or or committing more because I think that they were committed last year. I just think there's a mentality difference when you um, take the field knowing that or assuming that you're going to be all right versus when you take the field knowing that if you don't do everything, all the little things, then you won't be all right because it's right. proven. You've already seen the results of what happens mm-hmm. when it doesn't. I think if, uh, maybe the, for just from an analogy standpoint, like the Creighton men's basketball team, um, after heading into last season – after they had lost um, some key pieces, and they lost Justin Patton, they lost Zach Hansen. Um, they knew going into that season, like, oh, we're weak on the inside. Like, if Kyrie Thomas, Marcus Foster, um, Martin Crumple, Mar- Ronnie Harrell, if they if we didn't rebound, we we're gonna get beat up on the board. So there was a conscious effort. Uh, to rebound there's a conscious effort to take care of the basketball because if we turn the ball over you know so like there was more committed they were more committed to um, doing some of the little things you know the box out drills um, making sure that passes are on point and hitting guys in stride those types of things Um, and the results at least early in the season I thought were there I think that they um, may be lost a little bit as the season goes on but that's another that's another conversation to have. But I mm-hmm. guess what I'm saying is that I thought that um, from players, sometimes they can sort of um, direct their focus in a certain way and um, sort of set their mentality sure. on something. And I think that this team's frame of mind well, is I a mean, little bit better. Well, I mean, it goes into what you're talking about when you know you have, like, last year's team probably got a little too... Well, I'll just find Ricky and let him do something. Yeah, you know, like or he, get the ball to Lucas and let him run up the nine, run, run up the whole right. length of the field and make something happen. I mean, on, Ricky on the scored like, twelve goals. He, he was did. second in the yeah. Big East. He was a he was a good player. Yeah, and the same um, thing with like Riggs Lennon. Like those guys were just like incredible. They don't have that finishers, that, right? They don't have that dynamic finisher this time, right? And so I think so you it, have to like make it happen collectively. I think yeah, and yeah. I think that that a lot of players recognize that they recognized it for they didn't just start recognizing it last 
week mm-hmm. that this has been sort of on everyone's mind for the last few months and so I think that has um, sort of positioned all of them their their mentality their, yeah. what, where they're, how they're how they're approaching things and Joel Reichman um, has talked about this too and, and we talked about it again after the match against Northern Illinois um, despite the fact that they got a quick strike finish um, so you, like you know they kind of showed off a, an ability to find a quick strike when they needed one um, there was still that whole first half to evaluate with how much they controlled possession, um, only finding one goal but having chances to finish more than one. I think they had probably three goals, you know, they just didn't finish yeah. them. Like you know, they only got the one. But I guess that the one was the one was really that, pretty. The setup was nice. Like that that is the concern though. Like it is. they don't have a dynamic finisher, and like we can talk about their chemistry and um, you know the way that they have. Um, their their approach to the season, which mm-hmm. I think is a positive thing, but if you're not scoring goals, you're not going to win. Right. So, and I think that that's the question. Like the UNO match, I didn't get to see uh, Northern Illinois, but UNO, the first team even had like, they dominated that second half and yeah. they only got two goals. And both and you can goals, argue both goals should have been stopped. They could have yeah. been saved. Yeah, um, one of them for sure should have been saved. Absolutely. But you know what I'm saying? Like yep. so. Not enough. Then they had they had more chances than those two. They had a lot. They had a, they yeah, had a open had a net. wide open two wide open yeah. nets. They missed. Yeah. So that's the question I think, and maybe the biggest concern about this group is is because, you know, while there is a benefit I think to not having that go to guy because it raises the it forces everyone else to raise their level, mm-hmm. um, and kind of become more committed to that team oriented concept. You got to score, yeah. and that the the onus will be on. Uh, some of the, their guys up front to put the ball in the back of the net and, and to take advantage of opportunities, which I don't know if they've done that as consistently as mm-hmm. as you would like to see in the in the exhibition season. I mean, they're gonna we'll find out for sure on Friday. Um, it'll it's just one match, but we'll find we'll have a, a, a decent. They'll have a, like you said a good barometer of where they're at mm-hmm. and uh, the, what needs to happen going forward. The one thing I will say about where they might have. You know, those X-Factor players is in the middle of the field with Joel Reisner and <clears throat> Kuba Polat. Yeah. But, you know, you don't – I don't – I think it's easier probably for a defense to key in on guys that are connecting versus guys that are just, like, in the attacking side of the field because you always worry about when the ball gets to those guys. If they're in forward positions, you know, you kind of just are at the mercy of what they're able to do at that point and if they can find the back of the net. If you have a guy – if you have guys that are your playmate, top playmakers in the middle of the field, you can probably key more guys in on – Making sure you can stop them from finding, you know, uh, advantage advantages in the attacking third to make goals happen. That said, Creighton has those two players, and I think they are the two players that are probably the most important for the attack because they're they're just really technical players. They're really methodical. They're really dangerous. Um, but the other part of that is is kind of what you're talking about, and Joel has talked about this. There isn't as much quick strike ability on this group, so it's going to have to be more of just constant pace, pressure, possession, yeah. breaking down a defense because it's going to take more than one or two chances to get goals in for this team. You're not going to just, you know, find a Ricky and make it, let him score. You're not going to find a Riggs and let him score. There's not that, you know, a Fabian and things like that. You're going to have to do it more methodically. You're going to have to break down a defense, you know, control the possession, be patient, um, and then when you get your opportunities. And the reason they didn't score more against Northern Illinois was a lack of efficiency, not a lack of opportunity. They had plenty of opportunities to finish. Same thing with the UNO match. We obviously didn't see the Ohio State one, but we know they scored twice. 
there's opportunities there. They just weren't efficient with them. Yeah, that, you I know, when you miss two wide open nets, that's being that's not right. efficient. When you miss the goals you missed against Northern Illinois, when you had a chance to put that away early, that's lack of efficiency. That's the kind of thing they're gonna they're gonna fight early on is trying to find that finishing ability because they're gonna create chances. I think I think yeah. they have the ability so to do that. So if they're not gonna be efficient, we they'll struggle. We don't know yet. They'll struggle. <clears throat> but I will say though, if they're not gonna be efficient, then they have to be consistent with their pressure and their tempo right. and yeah. their pace and their aggressiveness. Um, now they have more depth, so I could con- it's conceivable this idea that they could really lay it on teams for ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. And like, create a lot of opportunities. So even though they're they're not hitting on all of them, they still have a lot. Um, they're they're just putting a lot of pressure on their opponent. That'll be the question because mm-hmm. they're you know, um, the guys who start matches are starting for a reason. They're their best players. Yes. And when you bring guys off the bench, they have to be able to maintain that same level. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the and, challenge. Yep. And you got to be able to do it for a full season too, which is also difficult. So and the other thing that I think that helps that might help them out while they're kind of trying to figure out, you know, where they are strong offensively um, and who they need to get the ball to and where is the fact that they have, I think, a pretty solid defensive side of the field. When you look at Mitch LeGarreau is back healthy. Um, I think it was a foot fracture maybe. I can't remember at the, at the top off the top of my head right now, so I apologize for that. But obviously when he went down last year, the defense was just atrocious. I mean, you lose your captain center back. Um, and while he has limitations as a soccer player, he's, you know, in terms of his technique and things like that, he's still an incredible leader on the field and how he organizes things. And when he went down, it was just, a, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like anytime anybody had the ball on the attacking side of the field, it was a scoring opportunity. I mean, um, there were teams that just weren't as talented as Creighton that were able to find goals just because of a lack of organization on Creighton's defensive third. So, um Having him back and healthy is good. Julius Four, his his center back teammate back there, that's two pretty experienced, solid guys at that position, which is a really crucial position for, you know, for that team. Because sometimes they isolate those two. Sometimes they let all, you know, all other eight guys just you know, move up, pressure the field, and let those two kind of like, you know, stop anything that comes in ter- in, in the form of a counterattack. So there's a lot of pressure on those two. But I think there's a lot. They have a lot of experience. Um, they've proven they have the ability to do that. So I think they have a good good group back there with you when you factor in Akeem Ward. And then Yunus Badati, like the newcomer, mm. I, I thought he was really good against UNO. I think he's been really good all preseason. Um, how will he handle, you know, a unit like Clemson? We'll find out. But, I mean, I see good things out of him. Um, Akeem actually didn't start the first half against Southern Illinois, so I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, Keegan Boyd started. I don't think that's what's going to happen for the season, so I don't know if that was a disciplinary thing or, or if he just wanted to get um, Boyd some reps with the first team and you know kind of integrate him because Akeem does have injury um, and in and a checkered pass in terms of injury, so you want uh, I guess you want a backup that's ready if he has to go down for an extended period of time. He was another guy that Creighton lost um, with an injury that was that was pretty bad. Uh, Pretty bad blow to their their chances of you know getting back to the tournament last year. So, um, but I like that four. And then you have Paul Cruz back there, who's kind of been the goalie that everybody's heard about that nobody's ever seen because they wanted to get him eligible last year, didn't do it. Um, so they went with Kluver. Uh, well, Paul Cruz is eligible this year. He's a freshman, six foot four out of Germany, like good sized goalkeeper. So um, they had the keeper they wanted um, in net, eligible, ready to go. 
So there's, you know, they don't really have an excuse back there. They think pretty highly of this kid. So, um, and so I, he hasn't really been tested a whole lot, which is a good thing. I think it speaks to the unit as a whole that I'm talking about here that he hasn't been tested. Um, but in the times where he's had to make a save, he's made it. So I don't think there's any reason to um, to doubt his ability up to this point. I, I you obviously wonder if he can make a spectacular <clears throat> save when he has to against a top attacking unit. But I, I like that. I like that whole group back there. Well, I like his demeanor too, and maybe he's um, um, he's benefiting from the the comfort level that comes with. An experience back four in front of him, mm-hmm. but uh, you know he's really talkative. He's he's kind of he's pretty energetic back there. You see him like encouraging guys and directing traffic a little bit, clapping. Um, I just I think he carries himself with some confidence, and I think he, I'm sure he's boosted. I haven't asked him, but I'm sure he's boosted by. Just to pause you there, just to talk about your the because you making a good point about his confidence. He had a play against Northern Illinois where. He, he he almost created a 1v1 because he was just, like, so confident that he was in control of the situation that he kind of just juked the defender, which is I don't think you ever want to see a keeper playing with the ball with attackers near him. But he did, and he got it out of there. like, And it didn't look like he was under duress, which I think was like, why aren't you under duress right yeah. now? Like, so that's that's that kind of that's an example I think mm-hmm. I observed of the confidence you're talking about. Sorry to interrupt. But no, no, and so I think that... I think that's encouraging because obviously you want that from your you want a strong voice back there, mm-hmm. um, and and a guy that the guys can kind of rally behind and know that you know if things break down, they still have you know they don't they don't have to be perfect and they have um, some cover behind them mm-hmm. with, with a keeper that can that is willing to stand up and and make a big time save. So um, yeah, we'll see, man. I'm. I'm I know that their their coaching staff's pretty encouraged with what they've seen so far, and the, just talking to a few of the players, like, like what you mentioned, coming back early, ten days ahead of time, mm-hmm. and and getting sort of acclimated with one another. It's sixteen newcomers on a twenty nine man roster. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of new faces, a lot of change. Um, certainly on that that top group, that top rotation, there'll be a lot of familiar names, but. Um, there's still some new guys making in, who are going to be called on to make an impact, and a lot of uh, players who are making up sort of the uh, the second tier that that core of the next core of players who will be mm-hmm. sort of building off whatever happens this year. That's that's full of newcomers. So um, this was an opportunity, I think, for Creighton to sort of have that culture reset moment, mm-hmm. and so far I think they've taken advantage of it. And so we'll see if they can actually get the results. I agree. I just I think you know. There's there's opportunity here, you know, when you look at I think I joked because last year they were so good at home so that the the, the you know, the warts were kind of like masked because not everybody that, you know, follows the program kinda of like saw firsthand how bad it got, how bad they were away from home. Um so this year if the things aren't addressed, the things that we're talking about need to be addressed, that they, they say they have addressed. If it's not addressed, we'll find out because they have a lot of home matches. I mean, when you think about Clemson's at home, UC Davis is at home, Memphis is at home, um, Jacksonville, Seton Hall, Denver, uh, they get Providence and Marquette at home, like Georgetown at home. So I mean, they're gonna they're 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 gonna have an opportunity here to use that strong. The only thing that was good about their season last year was how they performed at home. They'll have an opportunity to, you know, play a lot of home matches. Oh, Elmar just bent one into the <laughs> near post. That's pretty good. Guy still got it. 
Um, we're at Morrison Stadium, by the way, watching them practice as we as we record this. So that's what that was. But you know, they have a lot of home matches, so the opportunity to play in front of their home crowd. Um, so I think if they miss the NCAA tournament again this year, if they go, you know, if that happens again, and if it's a season similar to last year, it's going to be interesting to watch how people react to that because that's going to be frustrating firsthand, not necessarily finding out a result, you know, well, you know, that they played away from home. So right. I think that's an interesting thing. And there'll be some pressure too, I think, that we'll see how they respond to that. I mean, we, they, uh, there is obviously a boost at playing at home. Yeah. But if things don't Especially go. here. Yeah, if things don't go the way you want to, and then you have, and you come home and you're expected to perform better, and you're not able to, like there, that can weigh on players too sometimes. Sure. So, I just um, think when you when you've only missed the SWA tournament twice in 26 years, and then you've got a chance to recover, probably having a bunch of home matches on your slate is helpful. If you don't take advantage of that, you know, then the the issues are probably deeper than the things. That, yeah, that might. You be know what I mean? They're probably it's probably deeper issues than the ones they address in the off season, right? Yeah. Because the ones that they talk about right now are all cultural. They're not really tactical. So, to me, I think that means they had to reset some big picture things, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily things that they, I guess, would have to deal with, you know, that with losing a Ricky Lopez Espin and losing a Riggs Lennon and losing a Lucas Stuffer and all those types of things that they had, that they will have to redress. You know what I mean? Those are just on-field issues. You know the things that they keep talking about are the things that they addressed in the off season were the were the kind of locker room ones, um, the the off field ones, the ones in practice. Like those are the ones that we don't see. Those are the issues they said they addressed, and they, those are the issues that they highlighted in terms of the problems they thought created last year's you know inconsistencies. Yeah. So we'll get to find out um, how much of the attention they devoted to addressing all the cultural things in the program that they said they felt like needed to be addressed, how much of that will actually change the results of what was last season and what will be this season. Volleyball. Um, probably the flagship program of Creighton University at this point, right? Athletic, do you think so? Is that too much? If you're just talking about success. I think I am, right? Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, that's how I weigh things, but... I, I know I, where the money goes, but I, I mean... say where the money goes and where the interest lies. Yeah, and, and who supports... I mean, men's basketball obviously supports the entire athletic department, but um, volleyball has been on an incredible run, right? I think I want to do it... I wanted to... Before we get started, I guess I want... I, my take, big picture, is that when you look at the Big East as a whole, and I wanted to talk to you about this, um, when you look at the Big East as a whole and just take all the kind of... All the Olympic sports where all Big East schools you know, have a say in what's what. Um, I would put Villanova men's hoops, number one, obviously, two national titles, a bunch of conference titles, a bunch of conference tournament titles, um, easily the most dominant program, maybe in college basketball and then certainly in the Big East. And then I would put Creighton volleyball, number two, just in terms of what they accomplished. I mean, we look at four straight Big East titles, four straight conference tournament titles, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, hosting the NCAA tournament last year, like all the things that they've kind of checked off. Um, I don't think any program has been as successful as Villanova, but I don't think anyone can say they have a stake at, to the claim at number two behind or ahead of Creighton Volleyball. Yeah, what I mean? can't disagree with that. I mean, yeah. since the, incept, the, the inception yes. of the New Big East, yes. so basically the last five years, which programs across all sports have been most successful? In the sports where everyone has... Right, everyone has a say, yeah. Everyone is competing. You know, you can throw in I, baseball up there if you want. You have seven of the teams, and then, you know, Marquette and DePaul aren't mm-hmm. going to have them anytime soon, so that is what it is, but... 
I mean, I don't know who else is contending, honestly, because uh, I Georgetown women's, women's soccer, soccer. DePaul women's basketball um, come to mind. Right. Nobody else has been consistent enough in men's basketball to, to even enter the conversation. Villanova is clearly number one. I think there's a gap, and then I think Creighton volleyball. Villanova men's basketball number one, Creighton volleyball number two, and then... I mean, I think there's actually a gap after that, honestly. Yeah. They've been... Yeah, I think there might be a gap between one and two because of the national titles, and then a gap between two and three. I mean, they've won the Big East regular season and tournament title for the last four years. Yeah. That's pretty dominant. They it haven't is. lost a home match in two seasons, is that right? Since I even, I'm trying to think, what was it? Villanova, maybe? Was it the year they... The year... I've never seen them lose a home match. So. <laughs> no, you haven't seen them lose a home match. Um, it's I think a... I watched them get swept by... I think they got swept by Villanova... To a Big East team is what I'm saying. The home no, they got swept by Seton Hall. I think Seton Hall is the last team to okay. beat. Yeah, it's they got swept on Senior Day after winning the, after clinching the title on Friday. They kind of laid an egg on Sunday or whatever. So I think this is the last. It's time been a really impressive run. Yeah. And uh, I think for, I guess my, my the reason I bring that topic up is because if I had to rewind you five years ago and bring you into this world, um, would you have said of all the programs that are gonna just really take off. Would you have said Creighton volleyball um, would do it to the to the extent they have, and in, in you know by just absolutely dominating the Big East to the point where 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 we can compare them to a Villanova men's basketball in terms of how much they've yeah no, and I think the team that I probably would have picked was would probably have been baseball. Okay. Um, given the bottom tier of the conference. I know not every team in the conference plays baseball, so maybe they're not, they don't exactly qualify. Yeah, they kind of, yeah. But that was, t- I mean, St. John's is a really good program. I thought it would kind of be a neck and neck with St. John's, and it actually has been. Sure. Um, unfortunately for Creighton, they just haven't had any success at all in the conference tournament. Otherwise, we, um, the perception of the program and what it's done since joining the Big East would be different, I think. Right. But, because um, it's won two regular season titles, and I think if you go out, now it's a little probably a little bit different after adding this year in, but going into this past season, they were number one in terms of winning percentage in, in league play um, of all the baseball teams. So they've done, they've had some success. They just in the regular season. In the regular season, yeah. Um, so that would have been my team. I guess it, uh, one. I, I would I, maybe I might have said men's soccer. Mm-hmm. That would have been another popular one. Um, but I, the Big East is pretty good. It is. Um, so it's a pretty good league for soccer. So I don't know if I would have had. Um, I, I I think that I would have expected them to, have, to win more than one conference title. Mm. What they won the they won one the second year they uh, yep. joined the the league and they that's did. it. Yeah. Um, so one, I, one regular season conference tournament conference title, no conference tournament. Right. Title. So I think I would have expected more from from men's soccer. Okay. Uh, but I don't know if I would have expected Villanova levels or or Creighton volleyball. What we've seen. Yeah. Villanova men's basketball. Creighton but I guess would any of the Creighton programs have been? Think, I yeah, think exactly. I would have expected any of it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been really impressive, and uh, and they've certainly carved out a spot among the uh, the top within the top tier uh, in in the sport of volleyball. And that's probably we'll the ascension that's most impressive. Is that the fact when they joined the Big East, they weren't at that level yet, and you didn't? I don't think a lot of people, and I'm I'm confident a lot of people didn't feel like the Big East volleyball was a lateral move. I think everybody thought in the MVC that was a downgrade. The MVC was better than the yes, Big East yes for volleyball, and then and the same thing with baseball. I think though they were, I think there was concern with those two sports that they were getting the 
short end of the stick in with the move to the Big East. Do you East. think you could argue that they it still is that case? Like, would you take Missouri Valley volleyball? I would take Missouri Valley baseball over Big East baseball. I would, still. although it's getting closer because yeah. you have Wichita State out of there now. So, like, I think it's getting closer. Yeah. Um, in baseball, in volleyball, I would take the Big East now Big because East. Marquette. Um, they've. I mean, you look at the track record. They've had. Uh, three NCAA tournament teams the last three years, right? Isn't that right? Last year was Creighton... Mar- Actually, last year was two. So last year was only Creighton and Marquette, but I think Creighton, Marquette, Villanova, and then Creighton, Marquette, Seton Hall have alternated. Okay. You know, there, there's been alternates of the third, but they've always had two. There's always been Creighton and Marquette. Um, so I think when you... Uh, I think the Big East has actually been better for volleyball than I think anybody expected it to. I think everybody assumed... Northern Iowa is really good in volleyball. Wichita State is really good in volleyball. And then with Creighton, that's three really good NCAA tournament caliber teams in the NBC. Now, obviously, Wichita State's gone from the NBC again, so I think the Big East now is certainly a better volleyball league um, than the NBC. Gotcha. Even though there's still good teams in the NBC, like Northern Iowa and Missouri State, I think I think for sure as it's been surprising to see the ascent that volleyball has made. Um and how Creighton has kind of elevated the Big East with their success as well. That's just a big picture take on all of that. I think it, that's the one thing what that's saying, been surprising that I kind of wanted to talk about. Kudos to Kirsten. Yeah, just like a little tip of the staff. cap to the whole thing. I mean, when you look at what they've done since, you know, because that last year in the NBC was kind of their first really, you know, they I think they won 29 matches, uh, won the conference tournament and conference, won the conference and the conference tournament title for the first time. Like, that was kind of their first year, and then, boom, here's New League. Yeah. And they've kind of just, other than the first year where Marquette won it, um, where Marquette swept both titles, Creighton's dominated the whole thing. So that's been the only hiccup was the first year, and it wasn't even that much of a hiccup. I mean, they still made it to the NCAA tournament and all that. So, um, so yeah, just a little tip of the cap to what they've done, now who they are. Uh, I don't see that slowing down <laughs> anymore. I actually see it getting maybe even, you know, you ascending to a new level. You think they're better than last year? I do. I think they're better than last year almost across the board, actually. We got, I, I was just watching them practice yesterday in the gym, and um, Hanshley Oxley Barons came by, and uh, who's been Kirsten Burnsall Booth's assistant coach the whole time. Like she, Everything Kirsten Burnsall Booth has accomplished at Creighton as a coach, Hanshley Oxley Barron's been there the whole time. So I think that's a pretty cool dynamic, too. Um, but she walked by, and I was like, and I just said, I, I was like, you have a lot of talent in this gym, and I don't think you're going to get much sleep trying to figure out who to play and who not to play. And she agreed, and I, I just, and, you know, she made a comment that I don't think there's ever been as much talent as there is in the gym that, you know, that they've ever had. So I feel like they believe that, and I think the players believe it, um, and I, I think it's pretty evident to see. Just when you look at the depth that they have, I mean, it's insane watching them practice together because there's just so much there's so much talent at every position, almost two deep, sometimes three and four right, when you look at the hitters, um, that it really is a dogfight for playing time this year. I mean, some good some good players, some really good players that could start on NCAA tournament quality teams are going to be coming off the bench for Creighton this year. That's how deep they are. So I think the only question is not what they'll achieve, but like can they stay healthy enough to, you know, you know, can they avoid a catastrophic injury that derails the whole thing? You know what I mean? That's my only question mark. I have no doubts that they're going to make the NCAA tournament, that they're going to advance in it, that they're going to have a chance to contend for, you know, a Final Four and things like that based on their abilities. I just, you know, you just, it does it all come together. That's the only thing that's I think needs to be addressed when I see it. 
it jumps off the page to me. Yeah, I mean, they really have a lot of talent. There's no question about that. I think my question is, um, they, they were so sure of who they were going into the last year because, you know, they it was really obvious who was going to be the setter and who mm-hmm. their go-to hitters were going to be. And this year, right, you still know Taron Cloth and Jalen Winters are going to be studs mm-hmm. on the outside, but obviously a new setter and a, potentially a new offense. Um, different pieces moving in mm-hmm. and, and helping. Um, I, there's, there's sort of like, how do you put the puzzle, the pieces of the puzzle together? That question. Mm-hmm. I know that they've worked in practice on figuring out these roles, but there could be um, a bit of a learning curve going into the start of the season, and they're going to be obviously challenged from the get-go. I just, like, I think of Washington, that match against Washington last year. Like, mm-hmm. Creighton was in mid-season form by the time they started they the season last year. I feel year. like they peaked too early last year. They might have. Because I think they were already ready but, to go. I think they but, were at a more advanced position. But what I'm saying is, like, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to be there at this this year, at that, that level. I don't think okay. they will be. Okay. Um, like, when they played Washington, like, it was like, it was a team, it looked like a team that had been practicing together for a year and a team that just, like, Assembled like a ta- Washington's talented, but it was a team that it felt like a team that just assembled for practice like a week ago. That's, you know, like it, it just seemed like the way that Creighton was attacking and everything. Um, now they played well, but so you credit them for that. But they just seemed to be um, really in tune. Yeah, because the then they went with Kansas too, down in Lawrence. Like they were that non-conference was really impressive. So that I guess my thought is is that can they find that? How quickly does it, if if not, how quickly is it going to take to sort of get everybody moving in the same direction because there's a lot of different pieces and and yeah i'm uh, not sure i'm not sure if it looks the same on day one as it will at the end of the season you can almost guarantee that it won't and and that's probably not a bad thing it's not they're going to be better and i would imagine they're going to be better in november and december than they are now but they're going to they play so many good teams at the from the start you know you may not see Mm -hmm. the impact of how much more talent or like they're 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 a talented club. You may not see how talented they are until November and December. Yeah. Well, the biggest question mark is obviously going to be who's quarterback in this whole deal. Um, and I think I've you know when you look at Madeline Cole, who I feel like is going to get the first crack at it. I think she's been really good in the preseason. Um, in just you know the two glimpses we've seen with the blue white scrimmage and you know against Kansas State, who. Kansas State didn't have a good year last year, but the, and they bring a lot of people back, so you think, okay, maybe they're just bringing a lot of people back for a bad team. But that's a team that Creighton hasn't historically dominated ever. You know, the, the matches have always been close. Even if they were only four sets or someone one and three, the sets were close. And then most, and then the last two, I think two of the last three have been five sets. Um, so it's not like a team that Creighton has just handled. And on Friday, that's when they played them, right? Friday or Saturday? Friday, yeah. Friday night, they handled Kansas State. And handled them with the number one unit and then almost beat them in the bonus fourth set with the freshman unit. You know what I mean? They had match point or game point with the freshman. They ended up losing 26-24, but, like, they had that opportunity to to say not only are our number ones better than you by a long stretch, our freshmen are pretty much – because Kansas State had four of their starters still in that – Right. Final four set against Creighton's freshman, pretty much. So that's what jumps out at me. Like, okay, that's in a different <clears> opponent that's Creighton has normally been back and forth with, and it wasn't even close. So that to me was a state. That was a statement to me that this team is at a new level, and I think that's the only thing that's been separating them. Like, 
there are levels to this, and Kirsten Brenthal Booth has talked about it. You know, there's a jump from, say, um, you know, 150 to top 50. And there's a jump from 50 to 30. And then 30 to 20 is another one. And then 20 to 10. And then, like, the top 10 are just absolute killers across the board. You know what I mean? Like, any one of those, you know, in the, in there's probably five national title contenders every single year, right, that you feel like you wouldn't be surprised if they won it. Right. You know, that's a pretty... That's a pretty deep sport in terms of how elite the elite are. Um, but I think Creighton is getting, you know, a lot closer to cracking that than they've ever been before. And I thought Friday was an example because I think Kansas State is one of those teams that you normally expect, based on their talent and their coaching and their history, that they're one of those top 30 to 50. And you don't usually wipe out a top 30, 50 team, you know what I mean? It's usually a team that... Um, if you beat them bad in, one, in set one, they usually come back and rally in set two, and it's kind of like a seesaw battle. Creighton wiped them out all three. I mean, they didn't even score 20, until, 20 points in a set until the third set. I mean, yeah. that was a pretty dem- – I mean, that was a statement to me, I guess. Even though it was an exhibition, I felt like there was a, it, was a, it was a statement win, I thought, you know, in terms of their abilities. And Megan Ballinger didn't play. And Megan Ballinger did not play. <laughs> And and Kirsten Brentlow Booth has called her the best volleyball player on the team. Like it, it just you know the one yeah. who can do everything. She can do everything. She's impressive. Yeah, I forgot how high she can jump. Yeah, you said, right. You saw that at practice the other day. Right. She, but she didn't play. She, she was in warmups. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Keely Davis, who I was really impressed with in the blue white scrimmage, um, true freshman with like a, just a cannon for an arm and um, I think a really impressive serve. Barely played either until the fourth set. So it was it was interesting. You know, like I said. One of the things I will say, though, is because of, of Kirsten Brenton Booth's track record. Mm-hmm. Like, if the question, which is, it's a question for me, is like, how do you put it together? Based on her track record, if that's the question, like, maybe you shouldn't really be concerned. It's because, probably answered, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or it will answer itself. It will answer itself eventually. Or, well, I agree. She'll answer it. Mm-hmm. Or, and her staff will answer it. Yeah. Because they've, they've proven year in and year out to be one of the better coaching staffs in the country. They maximize talent really well, and they just find a way to make it work. And so um, they're going to have a lot of pieces and a lot of really good players to figure out, to try to figure out how to fit it all together. But, like, they've done it before. They they continually do it. Why would they not be able to do it this year? So, Mm -hmm. um, but I am, I am kind of curious to see if it takes them a while to sort of build up to. Okay. What, are, what were your thoughts on uh, the coaches in the conference picking uh, Marquette to win the league? I guess because you're, what you're, what you're, there are two new coaches in this league. I'll give some the benefit of the doubt if they were the ones who did it. But Marquette returns, I think, twelve of thirteen letter winners from last year from a lat from a team last year that was one game behind Creighton in the conference standings in the regular season, and then went five sets with them in Milwaukee in the conference tournament title match. So there wasn't a, that much of a gap. Okay. And Marquette returns 12 of 13. Creighton loses Lydia Demke, Marissa Wilkinson to all league starters, um, All-Americans. Um, so there's that to, to kind of play off of. At the same time, I think five of eight coaches voted Marquette over a Creighton program that has won four consecutive Big East titles and four consecutive Big East tournament titles. Like, There's a lot to vote against is what I'm saying here. A whole, a whole body of work that's bigger than losing two pieces, I guess. So what was your initial reaction to Marquette getting the nod over Creighton by a whole whopping two points, I guess, but 
enough to That's make Marquette more, a preseason player, preseason favorite. They still got more first place votes than Creighton. They did. To me, that I I don't understand. Okay. So I I just don't understand. Like I I guess I get the argument of, uh, um, I don't know a. A veteran team returning, they're going to get better. Mm-hmm. I can understand that, but um, that's still, I'll, I'll take great players to create talent over that, over over whatever you're bringing back. Yeah. That's, See, that's, I will I will say I'm not surprised, you know, because I can guess I can, I can see the argument when you're just looking at everything on the surface level on paper, like, okay, what is 2018 Marquette? What is 2018, or who is... 2018 Marquette, who is 2018 Creighton, fine, but there's like a body of work there that like has a there's a cycle to it all that you're saying. Well, every Creighton team in the last four years has done this. Are there enough pieces that the 2018 version is still that same yeah. team? You know what I mean? And they brought in a top ten recruiting class. Yeah. So my whole thing is you essentially told Jaylee Winters that like I if there's any bear you don't want to poke, that's the one. Like so you told a, you know Jaylee Winters. Uh, you know, the ultra-competitive, arguably, probably the most underrated player in the league. She hasn't won the player of the year yet, despite the fact that she's been the best player in the league for three years running now. Um, that, yeah, we think you're going to finish number two as a senior. Despite the fact you've lost maybe three matches your whole career in the Big East and don't even know what it's like to finish second place in this league. So I just thought the timing of it was interesting. Like, why you thought this was the year where they get knocked off the perch with you know, Jaylee Winters, All-American, Taylor Nicole, All-American. On the pins, like, that's in the, you have two All-American pins. I mean, I understand there's questions at setter, but I feel like if I have two All-American pins, I could probably set. Like, if so, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It, it's just, like, is, that much of, is it that much of a question mark? To the point where you thought Marquette? Yeah, for sure, Marquette. Some people do value experience. I understand. And they, they value, I, we know what we know. Mm-hmm. So we know how good this team is, and, and I mean, granted, Marquette, I would imagine, is going to challenge Creighton, and the matches will not be easy. But um, I'm kind of with you in that. I, I I bank on the body of work and, yeah. and a team's ability to reload, and you know the system they have in place and the coaching staff that didn't change. Um, a lot of key pieces from last year are back and going to be better than they were a year ago. You know, so mm-hmm. that doesn't change. Um, I think I don't think there was enough change with Creighton to to make me doubt yeah. whether or not they're they're gonna they win the conference. I mean that's I feel like I mean volleyball is one of those it's it's every sport though really like there's a reason why there's the top tier teams in name your sport men's basketball football um, soccer like they reload that's because that's they have really good coaches they have a good system and mm-hmm. they recruit good players like. That's what Creighton has proven itself to be over the last three or four years. That's they, how you they, win over a long period yeah, of time like, like this. Right. You know what I mean? It's not like they had the same exact team for four years, right. and that's the team that won all the um, the championships. I mean, way back so. when, way back when this whole thing started, like J.D. Winters was a freshman, Taryn Coles was a freshman, Megan Ballard was like you had question marks there. You're like, how good are these players? Yeah. So and then I, I, I mean, if I had a vote, I would not have picked mm-hmm. Marquette to be or to win the league, but. Right. Some coaches did, and now Creighton has some extra motivation, so I guess that's good for the Jays. I just think, you know, if you guys want to play a funny little game, just go up to one of the volleyball players or a coach and say off the record, how do you feel about being picked second in the league? If you want to see some, you want to see some fire in some eyes, like if you, you want to see how competitive this group really is, um, yeah, that was just, 
I don't think that'll come off the bulletin board until that until the banner is hung again. I guess what I'm saying like they're gonna remember that one for the whole the duration of the season, if you will. Um, I think we probably have to talk about the Nebraska match, um, even though it's just one match. I think it's probably on a lot of people's minds. Uh, you know, it's a, the Nebraska team that won a national title last year with probably a team that probably didn't expect to. I guess you know what I mean. So they are the returning national champions. They do have some pieces back. Obviously, they lost Kelly Hunter, who's an incredible setter. Um, I think she was co-most outstanding player of the Final Four last year, too, with Michaela Fecky, who is back this year. Um, so Creighton gets them September 6th. My birthday, home match for the first home match, I think, of fall sports is that one. Um, so that's enjoyable. But it's Nebraska. It's Creighton. Um, I think when we talk about barometers, Creighton's kind of always measured against um, I guess what Nebraska's probably big sister at this point in the state of volleyball. You always kind of wonder can as Creighton close enough for that gap to beat that team. Um, so what do you think in terms of how that matchup lines up? Creighton Nebraska obviously has a lot of expectations this year as does Creighton, but um, is Creighton any closer to beating Nebraska this year than um, in years past? It's hard to say. I, don't, yeah, I just don't know how good Nebraska is going to be. I mean, they just they when we talk about reloading, they're yeah. going to have studs all over the court. So Creighton does seem like it's better position to compete in a match against an, an elite team. Mm-hmm. I mean, a team that won. Is it important for them to beat them this year? Well, one of the things that I think about, I don't know if it. I mean, it it, it might be a a psyche blow to some of the veterans on the team that feel like they've they continually progress and they've gotten to this point now where they think that they're capable of beating anyone, Nebraska mm-hmm. or whoever, it doesn't matter. They can beat that team. And so if they are unable to beat Nebraska, you know, maybe that... Lingers? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, Creighton Volleyball, you know, for a community in Omaha and Lincoln that is so supportive of the sport. Like, you see how many fans go to Nebraska games, and uh, when they play in the Century Link Center in September, like, that place is going to be mostly red. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, Nebraska's earned that support. But mm-hmm. this is, an, I think it's an opportunity for people who follow Nebraska and like volleyball to see where Creighton is. Like, I think people will be surprised who haven't followed Creighton's program closely. Maybe they've seen the scores, and they're like, oh, yeah, Creighton made a nice little run this year. They hosted the tournament, hosted the first and second round. That's great, you know. But I think this will be an opportunity for Creighton, and not that they really need it. I don't know if they necessarily need it. It, it could be benef- – I think it's beneficial to have more eyeballs on you. But I think – I just think that there's a lot of people that – um that know the sport well, but not only around here, but I think if Creighton beats Nebraska, it I has national. But I don't even know if they even like, have to win it. Oh, okay, I mean, I think okay. it, it will. It obviously will make more of a headline and make more of an impact if they win. Mm-hmm. But I think people just looking out at, on the court and watching this Creighton team compete against Nebraska and compete with them, um, I think that will say more, say a lot. And um, I, I, I think just, it'll say enough, is what you're yeah, saying. I, yeah, I just feel like you know, Creighton has done a good job. I think of cultivating some. Um, some of the local fans and the potential here, but I think they can do more, and I think I think fans locally could al- could also do more too in terms of. Have like we ever talked coming about this? Yeah. Coming out. To- Have we ever talked about if the Century Link Center is like Creighton's volleyball like home ever? Like, I mean, here's some Myrtle Booth likes DJ Soul Arena because if you can pack that place, that's rowdy. Yeah, you know what I mean. And obviously, 
Philly and CenturyLink Center takes what f- five, six of those arenas, right? So like, is yeah. but it, but like when you look at Nebraska, how much how many people come out from Nebraska? Yeah, but Nebraska is different. I mean, it's just different. Is it different in terms of just like yeah. all of? It's just it's so well Lincoln and all that. Yeah, like, it's yeah. Lincoln and, yeah. and it's this state too. The way that it rallies around Nebraska, that Creighton's not going to get that. But I think that they should be able to sell out all their matches, and I think yeah. that I think that people, um, and that's again, it's not. I don't think that's just on Creighton volleyball to appeal to everyone. Mm. I think it's also for people to recognize that, like, oh, you know, there is actually another program here that's that's pretty good at this sport that I enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the people in the state really rally around Nebraska volleyball because of their success, obviously their tradition. Mm-hmm. But and those people really like volleyball, and if you really like volleyball. You know, there's also another team that you can support. And there, I don't think there needs to be the the rivalry aspect of it. Maybe there is for some people, some fans. But um, for a lot of fans who just like volleyball, um, I think it's an opportunity for Creighton to sort of sort of reveal itself and reveal its growth to them, mm-hmm. and say like, look how look how uh, look how much we've improved over the last four years. Yeah, or so. No, that's a good point. I do I do wonder though. I've always wondered that if Cre- if Creighton if Creighton blows up to, like I said, we talked about the levels they're getting up to. If they cross into that, you know, five to ten range on, you know, in a way where you can see it being sustained, and you know, when you just look at the players they're bringing in and recruits, like they're they're just sustaining a top level um, or a high level of volleyball that they're always they're kind of going to be a comfortable they're going to have a comfortable spot in the elites of the game. Will that become a facility? You know they use on a part-time basis, even if just to fill. Like if you bring in, like say, say in four years, if Creighton has crossed that threshold, and then you're bringing in USC, Kentucky, Northern Iowa again for a tournament, do you are you able to move it over there because of the high-level teams that are going to be involved in that? When you have potentially three, you know, we look at Craig Skinner who came from Nebraska, what he's building at Kentucky. Um, USC is in kind of a transitional phase after they fired McHaley, but you know if they sustain that or even you know keep their um, prowess as a volleyball elite, um, and then obviously Northern Iowa is consistent as well, does that become a more of a ticket than TJ Sokol Arena can handle, I guess I'm saying? Or if you have a tournament, say, you know, like Baxter Arena held with Nebraska, UNO, Kansas State, Northern Iowa, things like that, do you need a bigger facility to handle the demand of people wanting to see an elite team like that? Because I think the thing that just keeps jumping out to me, and you say that Nebraska is different, is Nebraska is 8,000 routinely, you know what I mean? And then the CenturyLink Center, more, even more will show up, right? Does Creighton have more... Does Creighton, is Creighton's ceiling a little bit higher than the one that's currently reaching to break through, I guess is my point. Like, if they sell out DJ every, every match, like you said they should, does, is there a next step to that? In my, you know, I, 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 I wonder if there is, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it, I just think about the whole beginnings of where men's basketball was, and I feel like, can volleyball in this state go to that level? I think it can. I think volleyball overall across the country is a growing sport. Mm-hmm. So, and when you look at the athletes that are playing it, I feel like there, there is more there. Now, Central League Center is a big facility, so, like, there's, there's, you know, there's a gap there. But, I mean, I wonder if Creighton can out- – I wonder if Creighton might be able to outgrow DJ Sokol Arena in the near future is all I'm saying. I'm not saying they can. I'm saying I wonder if. That's all. Yeah, I have my doubts. Okay, that's fair. I'd like to see. But you're already you're you're saying you have doubts. I'm wondering if they do. Yeah. I'm not going there yet. 
you feel like it's already no. They won't. They they won't grow to Soko Arena. I want to. I want to see him. I want to see him pack Soko for like three or four years, and then maybe we can talk. Oh, okay. So it's the same period of time before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't have. It's not like they're gonna bulldoze this place and then go. To right. The no. I they'll have it too if they, and if they be, start to be bad again. Based on what back. we've seen, they'll be successful for the next five years. Um, it's just whether or not. I mean, it's just whether or not the local fans buy in and whether or not Creighton continues to sell itself and, and appeal to um, to increase that does Creighton, pay, does Creighton pay rent by the game there or by the season? Does it cost them more if they move volleyball over there for a few matches or not? That could be part of it too. That's probably the only part of it actually is how much it costs. Because <laughs> that's the bottom line. So. Well, and you don't want, I mean, again, but from a competitive standpoint, you would prefer to have a jam-packed arena. So, mm-hmm. Like you, you mentioned Coach Bo- Coach Booth talking about, she likes the fact that it's sold out and it's raucous and it's rowdy and, and so cool. Like, would you want to give that up because you think, oh, maybe maybe we can get five in in a, we can get five, but it's in a massive arena and we're gonna lose sort of that atmosphere. Yeah. So maybe it's better to just pack in as many as we can, mm-hmm. twenty five hundred and and you know the overall product is better. Right. That's fair. So I think uh, we're at an hour 12, so we're probably not going to... Let's not talk about men's or women's basketball schedules. I lied to you all, sorry. Um, but this is a really long podcast. But So we'll get to your questions now on Twitter. Um, I said it was a fall sports podcast, but everybody wants to know basketball questions, obviously. So we'll start knocking season, those Season out. never stops. It never stops. There so is no it's technically season. a fall sport for <laughs> men's basketball. That's fair. There is no off-season anymore. All right, first question from my Creighton account, who submits six, as he usually does. Um, how's the four spot shaking out for the men? Who's the top two guys there right now? Um, I mean, we can confidently say we don't know because they haven't started putting in that kind of stuff, and they didn't do that kind of stuff in the summer. It was mostly just drill work and improvement. But I do think Christian Bishop is one of them, and I think you know Damon Jefferson is another one who can slot there. Uh, and I also think when Martin comes back, you know, I, I I expect to see some Martin and Jacob on the floor together and things like that. So, and I don't. I also don't think it's out. I don't think this is a last ditch option. But I wouldn't put it past them to put Mitch back in the four. Okay. And, yeah. I mean, I think four guard line, a four guard lineup. It you'll see some of that. Sure. Next year, and so if that fourth guard is Damian Jefferson, which he is kind of a guard, mm-hmm. then okay, I'll I'll give you that. But Christian really impressed in the summer. And I think he has a chance to play, and if he plays, he's going to play the four. Mm-hmm. But there's also that, like you said, that dynamic of having Epperson and Crump on the on the floor together mm-hmm. is kind of intriguing. Yeah. And if you can make it work, uh, that creates a, a a a lot of problems for a defense to have to to have to cover those two guys. So, for sure, I think those are your. I I would say those are Jefferson and Bishop Crumple, your your top three in this in this moment, with maybe a. A ballot because a four, mm-hmm. fourth option to four. I would agree. Uh, number two, do you expect Alexander to move off the ball? Definitely. Does Alexander move off the ball, or do you think he plays the point guard again this season, given a healthy roster? I think he's already. Yeah, if everybody stays healthy, he's he's. A, I mean, I, he's a two guard. Yes. It's our, that transition's already happened. I agree. At least in Tyshawn's mind, it's already happened. <laughs> Chatting with him, like yeah. I think he's he's uh, fully committed to being sort of a scorer first, and trying to take. On some of the responsibilities that Kyrie Thomas and Marcus Foster had no last question, year, no question about it. Yeah, so that's a resounding yes from both of us. Um, number three, without giving everything, oh, 
I, I read this question last night, and I was like, I'm not answering it. Without giving everything away, what does the offense look like with Everson and Crample or Froling and Martin slash Jacob? Are they running high-low stuff, four out, one in, or motion predominantly? I mean, can we even give away the playbook at this point? Like, I mean, they're not, well, they haven't they implemented much of that stuff. So, like, yeah. Martin's not back yet. Um, I am intrigued. And in the I, summer, they never went through any schematic stuff. They went through all just, like, um, fundamentals, drills. Like, it was about just making them better yeah. basketball players. It wasn't necessarily but I, about But scheming. I do, I do that wonder, stuff's start I do wonder if, you, if you do have um, a situation where, you know, Sam Farling is not, like, above the rim type guy. I mean, he's seven foot, so he can dunk, obviously. <laughs> right. But, he can get above the rim. Right. He's not, but he's yeah. not, he doesn't, like, he's, he doesn't have that same impact that Martin and and um, Epperson have, I feel like. Right. So if he's on the floor, does it change the way that they um, that they go about running their offense? If they do play Martin and, and Jacob together, mm-hmm. you know, does that alter it? I think there are some questions there, but it's probably too early to say, yeah. you know, what they're even tinkering with yet because they don't know. They haven't even had Martin on the floor yet to mess around with it. So That is a much better question for – it's not a bad question. It's just an early question. Much better question for two weeks into October than two weeks into September. Uh, number four. We're not even to September yet, Matt. We're not to September yet? No. Jeez, no. hurry up, September. Um, four, for volleyball, who's earned the second middle blocker role that has in the past been played by Wilkinson? Um, I mean, I think Annika Welty and Megan Ballinger and Naomi Hickman are all going to kind of vie for, you know, rotation spots at that position. I don't think there's, yeah. a, I don't think there's a clear... One, well, two, three. There, I think they're like, all going to kind of get because, cracks at it. I mean, I think because Megan Ballinger is so versatile, like she'll play some right yeah, side. Yeah, and so Same with Naomi, like, yeah. So if they're doing that, there's obviously openings for other people to be in the middle. But I like, I actually like, I like Naomi Hickman's game, and mm-hmm. I thought she played pretty well in the scrimmage. I thought she was really active, and there was one point where like, uh, or one rally where, I think she had three consecutive block touches, like. But knocked it back over the net across so the whole net. Essentially, yeah, yeah. she was like a wall for yeah. the entire point. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> and, and I Kansas State yeah. was like could not figure out how to get it past her. Mm-hmm. Um, she so, had one block off of Zumok's face, Kari Zumok's face, in the, the scrimmage too. That was pretty devastating. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I think she's. I think like she's. It. I thought she started to turn the corner at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Naomi Hickman did, and then um, so I think. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what they want to do. There's always a question with these freshmen: is do they really want to put them in the rotation, or can they hold them and save them? So, mm-hmm. but all four of them have the potential to help. It just depends on um, from a depth question where they, uh, you know, where they want to give those guys a shot or not. So, Annika, Annika Welty is it Annika or Annika? Annika probably it might be Annika actually. Okay, I don't know. It looks like Annika. So Welty, it Welty. I like her potential a lot. Yeah, so. she's going to be a stud. So those three, if that's... Like, that's the block record is in danger with her, I think. <laughs> um, number five for women's basketball, how's the five spot shaping up uh, is the first question. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty much the same as it was last year. Allie Green is probably going to get a lot of minutes uh, to start there, but I don't think Audrey Faber will never play that position again. I think Audrey's that small ball lineup is, yeah. is dangerous as... She won't um, play the full game at a five. I, yeah. and I think she like... hates playing the five for, for a full game. <laughs> but eventually, fans like, look, oh, we might want to score thirty points in the next ten minutes, so get in there and play the five. So like, she'll play the five. Allie Green is really had really had a great season last year. I think 
Um, gotta say, just healthy, though. I mean, with healthy, everything she's dealing with, she's never gonna be 100% healthy with that knee, so um, it's all about maintaining and just being effective in the short span that she gets on the court. So, like, I was impressed by what she was able to do. Um, the, the physicality she brings to that position is obviously different than what Audrey brings at it. Um, and then they added Morgan Turner, Turner from um, Lipscomb, I think, is where she came from. So, um, while she's battled injuries there, I, you know, so I wonder, I haven't seen her yet. I think she factors into, you know, at least someone who's going to eat up minutes along with Allie while Audrey plays her more traditional spot at the four. But, you know, I think that's – I think it's going to be fluid. But those three, I think, are where it's what, – what's going to – what we'll see there at that position. Yeah. Um, second part of that question is how's Jade Owens coming along? Um, last I saw, she was, you know, still rehabbing um, – so it's been a tough road for her for sure, and I don't know at this point if I'm confident she makes it back, but she's not stopping, so she's at least, you know, continuing to rehab, um, continuing to do the right things, and, you know, she's always around the team, she's always at practice, so uh, in her mind, she's still going to go, but it's, it's definitely not, it definitely hasn't been easy for her, because she doesn't heal fast, and she's had a lot of injuries, I kind of feel bad for her at this point. Um, but I'm not going to count her out. I just don't think. I just don't know yet. Yeah. That's the best way I can put that. Because uh, I think that there have been stretches where they have been encouraged, and then there's been a setback. Yeah, there's so always usually a setback. Yeah. We'll see, you know, in a, in a month or She so. almost came back last year. She was almost yeah. ready to go, and then, yeah, another one. So, um, yeah, that'll be, it'll be interesting to see for sure. But I don't think they're thin at that position anymore, which is probably a good thing because they won't, if she does come back, they won't kind of have to wear her into the ground um, with minutes and things like that so she can kind of ease her way back in no matter what which will probably help number six for men's soccer how's the back line holding up we kind of already addressed that actually earlier in the podcast so just rewind a little bit um, but I think highly of it and um, yeah we already answered that question was the exhibition come competition going to attack on par with the Big East uh, definitely not with UNL that team is not a Big East team um, I didn't see Ohio State and, I'm gonna, I'm gonna and Northern assume. Illinois not on the attacking side for sure with I Ohio think. State I'm going to assume no Okay, but Northern Illinois wasn't a great attacking team they were great defensively I think I think defensively that was a good look um, a comparative look to what Creighton will see in the Big East but um, UNL no and Ohio State I don't know I didn't see that match so um, let's see. How do you think this is from hash this is from at Blue Jay Athletics, so not very personable. Um how do you think that volleyball team will fare this weekend against number five, number ten and you and I? Given that we lost Dimke and Wilkinson. I'll let you fire away first. So your two. take on Kentucky, USC and Northern Iowa. Don't know enough about them, so I'm gonna go yeah. say I'm just two and one. Okay. That first I think day, I said that, that first day is tough, man. You got to yeah. play two matches. Um, obviously, a Kentucky team that was in the Elite Eight last year, right? Elite mm-hmm. Eight. Um, and Northern Iowa is always tough. Like, um, yes. they always give you a good competitive match. So I will say that you that's a lot to handle in one day. It's it's. I mean, Rob Anderson's not wrong when he says that that's the toughest tournament in the country. That is, or at least you know this weekend. Um, USC has, I think. I forgot her name now. Lanier is the outside hitter. I forgot her first name. Um, she's really good. She killed Creighton last year. Uh, but they have a new coach, so I don't know what system they're running. 
you know, last year it was a 6-2, just psychotically tempoed system that obviously was creating a lot of problems because of how fast they are. Uh, it was just a really athletic team, I think. Um, but it's different. They don't have – Mick Haley's gone, so I don't know what they're going to run now. Um, but I do know, you know, they have pieces back. Same with Kentucky. Um, you know, Skinner and Edmund are both back on the pins. So that's going to be a heck of a match, watching Jaylee Winters and Terry Cloth and Skinner and – or not Skinner and uh, – what's her name? It's Edmund and – I forgot her name already. Sorry. Um, yeah, I can't help you out there. Yeah, but they're they're really good. They have their setter back, who was a great, uh, I think, a freshman last year. She was really good. Um, and then Leah Edmonds, one of the best outsides in the country. So that's going to be a heck of a match. And then I think Northern Iowa has Piper Thomas back and things like, and a couple other pieces. So um, I think it's going to be a great tournament. I don't know how Creighton's going to do, but I feel like every team is kind of going to have a shot to knock off. I would be surprised if someone went winless. I think. Um, in this tournament this weekend. So I expect it to be pretty competitive. Um, and I think Creighton will answer – I think Creighton's questions at the positions that are worrisome, I guess, without Dempke and Wilkinson will probably be – I think they'll be answered this weekend because I feel confident in who they've replaced those players with um, just in the short things I've seen so far. Um, next question, Double J alum. How about a health report on Marcus? I assume that means Zagorowski and not Foster. Um, Marcus Foster's feeling good. I actually yeah. just talked to Marcus uh, okay. a couple days ago. He was banged up. He's, yeah, he had a hamstring that kind of bugged him throughout the uh, summer league. Um, so that was bad timing, but he's, he's good now. He's leaving for uh, Korea in a week. Okay. So, so there's Marcus Foster. That's one. Yeah, I'll write about. about Marcus Foster soon. So all right, keep a there's something to like tease there out. for the folks, yeah. like little little breadcrumbs. Follow that mm-hmm. to the Omaha World Grill. Eventually, sometime um. soon. I don't know when. But, <laughs> but Marcus Zagorowski. Where's that article? Right, Marcus Zagorowski. I think. Well, he didn't have to have surgery over the summer, so right. they were just sort of maintenancing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the back, and was it the back and the hip? Yeah, I think it was like a combination. Right, something in between there. Yeah, so. Um, but I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. They were the players all left campus for two or three weeks in mm-hmm. August, and he wasn't practicing by the end of mm-hmm. uh, summer workouts. So I guess we'll know more by the end of the week. Honestly, it's too bad. If we were recording this, maybe on Friday we might have a better idea. But sure. Um, I think the last I heard from Mac was that they're all expected to be back for the season. So I did like, hear that too. It's one of those yeah. things where, like, I actually heard. I thought he told me. Coach Mack told me that he expected Mitch Ballack and Mitch kind of seemed like he was already tracking Mitch in the was, right Mitch, direction. Mitch dunked for me yesterday, so he, wa- he wanted to show me that he was healthy. He's so good. Like, yeah. Uh, he's been getting closer to dunking. He's ready to throw one down, so like that's been the gradual Well, thing I felt like he to... was tracking in a positive direction toward the end of summer workouts because yeah. he was dressing. Mm-hmm. He, wasn't necessarily, he was kept out of some stuff, a yeah. lot of stuff, actually. But, um, but uh, the impression I got was that Mitch and um, Christian Bishop – who was banged up toward the end of summer workouts, and Marcus Sigurowski would be okay to go in August, at the end of August, early September. Mm-hmm. And that was the hope, anyway. So yes. we'll get an assessment shortly after, or in a couple of days. We will. So the so right now, I guess our range, range is stay tuned to probably okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Which is how the range is for a lot of people. Sure. That's how the range That's is That's how my me. range yeah. is every day. Is, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, probably okay. Probably okay, but stay tuned. Um, this one's from Atbert's Mustache. Great handle. Um, speculate on a starting five. I assume that means for men's basketball. Uh, let's see. Davion Mintz, Tyshawn Alexander, Mitch Ballack, Damian Jefferson, Jacob Epperson. 
you not know, no, no Martin? I will not day one, right? I wouldn't say. Starting lineup? For game one? Mm-hmm. You don't think Martin's going to make it back in time? Will you want him to start game one? Is he better than Jacob, too? Like, is he better than Jacob? I, I would say yes. He's proven more. He's proven more, for sure. I don't know if he's better than Jacob. Really? We'll get to find out, but I don't know if he is. I mean, if Martin returns healthy, I think he's Creighton's leading scorer. Who's Creighton's leading scorer in your mind? Oh, yeah. now you're asking questions, huh? I don't see that. I didn't see that on Twitter. Yeah, I know, but oh, now I just... Uh, who's Creighton's leading scorer? That's a good question. I mean, it's, it's really early. I think it's going to be by committee, first of all. I don't think there's going to be like... I, Mark, I don't think there's going to be like a one no, pointer I, I see like a Martin averaging like 14 or 15 a game, and then that's probably fair. a couple other players in the double-digit range. I would say my top two scorers on this group are Jacob Everson and Tyshawn Alexander. But I don't think there's a big gap. Right. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Jacob and Mitch, or not Jacob and Mitch, but Mitch and Martin are close. And then I also have, my, Christian Bishop is also my dark horse because, like, he can play above the rim. So I think he can steal, like, three or four lobs a game and, yeah. you know, find points that way. So I'll be intrigued to see sort of what the role is or how they how the minutes distribution unfolds for Martin and, and Jacob. I will, and, too. Um, I well, there's depth there now. So, like, yeah. you don't have to just run someone... You don't have to rush Martin if there's something there like no where, where, I mean, this is his third one now, twenty third, twenty ACL. Like, yeah. there's obviously going to be a limits restri- a minutes restriction there. Some uh, there has to be, right? It's not humanly yeah, possible I, to play right thirty but, plus on that those knees, right? By by the November he'll be on month eleven. I mean, month eleven out surgery, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, late okay. November. Yeah. So that's what five we're, games. We're right? talking about Martin too. We are talking about Martin, it's which. Pretty motivated, yeah. But, but that also means he does things too fast. Sometimes. And you have to slow him down on purpose. So, like, we'll see. I think – I just think there's a lot of depth there. So, I w- I, that's my – I mean, if I just okay. think of starting five on day one, so I don't think – Starting five on day yeah, one, you're that's saying Martin. I say Jacob over Martin. Okay. I'm going to pick Martin. Okay. You're probably going to be right. Huh. Especially if Martin hears this. Then, <laughs> then, then you're definitely going to be right. And he'll let you know. Yeah, he will. You'll be number one in his power rankings after that. Um, last one from the Manta, John Fanta. Uh, I'll jump in on the fun. You get to pick one Creighton men's or women's hoops player to join a fall sports team. Who are they, and why did you select them? Do you want to go first on that one? Um, That's kind of like a one where you have to think about it a little bit. Well, um, I accidentally – there was an error in our newspaper. We did uh, – we were doing the 25 Days of Jays. Um, Sort of series. And yeah, that was great. Did anybody, I hope everybody read that, by the way. We highlighted, I'm going to retweet that later so everybody does. We highlighted Jalen Agnew, okay. and somehow it was designated that she played soccer instead of basketball. Oh my God. Wow. So Jaylen, that would be my player. pick as Jalen Agnew. I don't know if she's your goalkeeper or if she's your uh, defender who comes in. And There's too many Jalens, first of all. And Jayla, so that's an, I understand the confusion there. Yeah, because Jalen Bozak plays soccer. Jalen Zimmerman plays volleyball. Jalen Agnew plays basketball. Like, Jalen Winters, you know. Yeah, Jalen. Like, yeah, you're right. totally. There's a lot. There's a lot of things. I don't know. I think it was, I think it was literally just a like copy and paste error mistake that he had, and it was fixed pretty quickly. But um, anyway, so someone pointed it out, and I thought in my head, like she'd probably be pretty good at soccer. So <laughs> Jalen Agnew playing some soccer. I think maybe a defender covering up space on the back end, and then heading the ball in on set pieces. Should be pretty good at that. Okay, I'm gonna vehemently, vehemently disagree with that because Carly Tritz's nickname for her is like first team all baby deer. 
which has to do with the footwork. So I'm going to say no to Jalen Agnew Fine. as a soccer player. Um, she doesn't have to kick it in. Okay. She just has to bully people out of the way. I'm and just saying no. <laughs> There's some awkwardness there that I don't think translates well to the no-hand sport, is what I'm saying. Okay, fair. Okay. I mean, her whole thing is length. And you need arms I mean, to do that, and, so. and the other thing, uh, well, you, hey... You, you, can use, you can use your arms her in soccer. Arms, her arms are vital to her you can success use, as an athlete. You, you think about her three-point percentage, rebounding, blocking shots, like none of that stuff is footwork. You can use your arms in soccer. Okay, maybe she's a goalkeeper then. A fine. A goalkeeper? Okay, maybe. Uh, who is... Uh, Temi played soccer, right? So that, that'd yeah. be an easy answer to the question because she, she played in high school. She mm. was really good. Okay, so Temi's an easy answer there. I would say mine is also going to be Jalen Agnew, but I think I'm going to go with volleyball. And I, don't, I know Crate doesn't need any help with volleyball, which is hard, like, you know, it's stupid to say that. So, But I think she would be a really good volleyball player just because she can jump. Um, you know, she's got long arms. I think she can block and hit pretty well. So, like, I think she would be a pretty good outside hitter in volleyball. Okay. And I tried thinking, like, what other – like, Mitch Ballack played baseball in high school. I think that's actually the reason he had shoulder surgery was because of pitching. Um, not necessarily – I don't think it was a basketball-related injury. So I think, you know, he could, you know, be a left-handed pitcher maybe. Gotcha. Um, it's interesting. I think there are multifaceted athletes. Uh, the, the actually the number one is Tatum Rembaugh, because she was a really really good softball player in high school and probably a D one recruit in softball. Like she kind of had her choice there. So probably the answer is Tatum Rembaugh. Might be but the answer. She, yeah. So she's probably the one. She could go from women's hoops to softball, and probably be legitimate. So cause she was really good. So that's probably the answer. Tatum Rembaugh. Last, from last year, I would have liked to see Marcus. I wonder. I never even really asked. Marcus is directly, but he's from Texas. Like, mm-hmm. I think he would have made a pretty good football player. Okay. I wonder if he running back or he didn't. Or... He was a basketball dude. He grew up in a basketball family. Like he was going to play ball, basketball, but like Marcus Foster playing running back. His ability to absorb contact that he always had in basketball without getting fouled, like probably <laughs> translates well to football. I mean, right? Yeah. I, I think a lot of times the refs thought that he was playing football, and they're like, <laughs> "Oh, fair. well, he didn't get tackled, so like we don't need to call anything." Back. Yeah, that's fair. So, so yeah, as a running back, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So much to call him. So you guys any eligibility left for D one <laughs> running back? Maybe you can be in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I think that's all the questions we got. Um, other than when Michael Murakami was trolling. Uh, so that wraps up our fall sports edition slash men's basketball questionnaire portion of the Blue Jay Beat, which will be back, and we promise it'll be shorter. Good Lord, this is a long podcast. Um, but thanks for listening. Hope you're not falling asleep. Hope it was interesting. Um, do you I was, that? Well, I was just going to say, even if you are falling asleep, that's not a bad thing. I like to, that's listen. Kind of, I, uh, I yeah. listen to podcasts exactly. and fall asleep all the time. So play this before you go to bed, and maybe some subliminal messaging get information gets into you your head. You just get absorbed, you just and become you knowledgeable. And, and suddenly the only way you can fall asleep is by <laughs> listening to us, and so then you listen to this podcast over and over again, and then you... That's how we get it. Is it good to have a podcast voice that puts people to sleep? Is that good for our careers? I don't know. Like, man, you guys put me to sleep every time I listen to you. Is that? I don't know. I've never heard that, that a compliment, as a compliment yeah. but I would take it. Okay. I would take it. Maybe that's what we're striving for this year, <laughs> to put people to sleep. I have a couple go-to podcasts that put me to sleep. Yeah. And sure. I like them for that reason, so I don't know. That's that's fair. So maybe we're that. Maybe we, we could be brand ourselves as that. We could. No one's... Fall asleep no one's... the soothing sound of the Blue Jay beat. <laughs> right. Nobody has... Has cornered that market yet? In terms I, don't think I haven't so. even seen Especially it. not with sports. Sports right. are usually loud and yeah, racist. In your face. Like, yeah. Okay. Something to think about. It is something to think about. In the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you later.